The wisdom of experts can change your life. As a co-chair at the University of Texas, you've attained this elite status from growing and evolving over the course of your coaching career. In our Learning from Experts podcast, exclusively for the head coaches here at the University of Texas, we're going to accelerate that process. You'll hear from world-class coaches, sports psychologists, and successful people. And occasionally, it's the wisdom that impacts other areas of your life, like your health or your marriage. But here's something really important to appreciate. Timing. Hearing something at exactly the right time makes all the difference. Sometimes it's repetition. Hearing a concept multiple times until it resonates with you. So buckle up. This week's Learning from the Experts is about to begin. Hey coaches, John Mitchell here. Hey, I hope you're doing well. So this week I have an interview for you by John Gordon. He's interviewing Cameron Dicker, Dicker the Kicker. After Cameron's great career here at the University of Texas, he's now kicking in the NFL. Listen for how Cameron determined at an early age that his strength was his mindset, more so than his natural talent and how he played into that. Also listen for what he thinks about when he is actually kicking. And lastly, you'll find it fascinating how he discovered God in his sophomore year here at the University of Texas and how that impacts him today. And here's the essence of what you'll learn. Life is a state of mind. Would you agree with that? Boy, I believe that. And that's true for all of us, but especially for a kicker. The insights you'll get from Dicker the Kicker will impact your daily mindset. Boy, this is going to be good. So buckle up as we start to listen to Dicker the Kicker. And remember, hey, as a head coach here at the University of Texas, boy, you're living the dream. Welcome to John Gordon's Positive University Podcast, where we share John's interviews with guests, as well as key strategies and lessons from his keynotes and more. Now, on this episode, you'll hear valuable insights from a recent guest interview that John did. We also want to encourage you to check out johngordoncertified.com. If you're interested in growing as a leader, coach, speaker, or trainer, when you get certified, you'll be able to teach, coach, and train others on John's most impactful mindset, leadership, teamwork principles, strategies, lessons, and programs. For more information, visit johngordoncertified.com. That's J-O-N-Gordoncertified.com. Now let's jump in to this episode with John and our featured guest. Hey, this is John Gordon with Positive You, and today my guest is Cameron Dicker, the kicker. Cameron, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Hey, when did that name take hold? Was that in high school or did that start in college? Started in middle school. Uh, my seventh grade year, I think my middle school science teacher, Mr. G, he uh, gave that nickname to me in the middle of class because I was like transitioning from playing soccer to football. And he's like, what's more fun than this? <laughs> That's awesome. So you were kicking all the way back in, uh, in middle school? Started kicking halfway through seventh grade. When did you realize that you had potential to play at the highest level? I think for me, I realized I could play in college kind of early on in high school, like freshman year. Um, and then I knew I had a good mindset about it. And that's something I've always held myself like accountable for is making sure I stayed there. And then, um, I don't know, I feel like there's a lot of really talented guys out there, but it's about having the right mindset. So 
I was just kind of ready if the opportunity came up that I'd be ready for the next level. And it just kept working. That's awesome. When you were kicking in college, you're kicking at the University of Texas. I mean, we're talking the state of Texas is watching. Everybody is also national coverage. You got 80,000 plus fans watching you kick. That's like pressure. Mm -hmm. You were able to deal with that. Obviously, then you go to the NFL. Did that college pressure translate to the NFL pressure? Like if you're experiencing that in college and could deal with that, does that make you think, okay, I could deal with anything? Yeah, in a way. And then it's, it kind of makes it easier. Like the NFL, I think the fan bases aren't as animated as they are in college. I mean, I'm sure there's certain ones, but it's, uh, I've watched more college football than NFL. So I'm not too sure, I guess. But um, with Texas, like our Texas OU game, I mean, you have half a stadium filled with OU fans. So 40,000 OU fans, 40,000 Texas fans split right down the middle. And so as you're warming up on those sidelines, depending on which half of the field you're going, there's people either praising you or screaming at you as you're uh, warming up. And so it's always, that's always funny. And it's funny to hear what people have to say. What's your mindset when you're kicking in a game like that and you're trying to kick the game winner? What are you thinking about as you're going up to kick the ball? Nothing, honestly, nothing. It's kind of like, let your body roll and do the thing it always does. Um, I practice for those moments. And so it's just making sure I'm ready to go in there and, do what I do. I think that's one of the positive things that I have in my life is that I can stay pretty level-headed in those moments. Um, Cause for me at the end of the day, I make or miss the kick. It doesn't really affect my outside life that much. It's one of those things where I want to do my best and do that. But if the kick doesn't go in, it doesn't go in. So that's amazing to have that kind of mindset. That's great. I mean, everyone's watching and yet you're not thinking about the outcome. You're just focusing on kicking the ball, which is what I always actually tell people, focus on the moment, focus on what you're doing. Don't worry about anything else. And for a lot of people, it's hard to do that, but it seems for you that actually comes more natural. Where did you get that mindset? Yeah, so it started, I think, honestly, when I was really young. I don't really know why, but um, I grew up playing like soccer, playing all these other sports. And I think it just kind of teaches you. And I grew up in Shanghai, China. So I grew up not in the US for my first 11 years of life. And so life's a little different. And so I think it just kind of taught me to like, be you, be yourself, and you'll find people around you. And it's the same way out on the field. It's like, be myself. I'm ready for the moment. If I don't make it, great. Like when I get off the field, I still have my inner circle of people who are going to hold me accountable and love me no matter what. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. And then obviously, I mean, I got baptized this year after the season. I think my relationship with Christ has really helped a lot because it's made it more so not just my immediate circle, but now I also have God, who's the most loving person in my life. And I know that I can always count on the love there so that no matter what, I'm always loved. And so it's one of those things that's just kind of been eye-opening for me. That's brilliant because what really affects people so often is their identity is tied to their performance and how they do and the outcome. And what you're basically saying is, you know your identity, you know who your friends are, you know who loves you, and you're not tying your worth to any performance on the field or any kick. And so when you're going up to make that kick, there's freedom there. You're not worried about failing because you know who you are. Does that sum it up pretty well? Exactly. That is it. <laughs> Man, I love that. I wish I could bottle this and, and share this with everybody. But hey, 
we're doing this podcast. So hopefully people are listening and those young kickers out there, those young superstars in any sport are listening to this and you're feeling the pressure, you're feeling the expectation, but listen to Cameron. This is a guy who has kicked in the biggest games on the planet and he's been able to, to perform well. Do you remember one of your biggest kicks? Like, does it stand out to you in terms of at, at UT, for instance? I, I think I remember on TV, the one that you really nailed it. Is that the one that stands out to you? Yeah, the Texas OU kick my freshman year. I think it was like week six in the season or something. Um, had made my other kick earlier in the game, and then we're driving down. We were up quite a bit. We were up like 21-0, and they had Kyler Murray as quarterback, and so he was just an explosive player. He ran a touchdown in after one of our touchdowns when we were up by 21, and it took him 12 seconds to get down the field and score, and I was like, oh, boy. Um, I kind of knew something was going to happen where I was going to be held accountable for um, doing my job for the team. And so I was ready for the moment and just, yeah, it was awesome to go out there. It was a 40 yard kick on the left hash and then put it right down the middle. And it was awesome. Right down the middle. What's that feel like when everyone's coming, rushing the field, just jumping on you, just tackling you? What's that feel like? Oh, it's great. I honestly, it didn't really hit me how big of a moment it was until probably two years later. Um, I think, I mean, that night I went back and it was the same night Conor McGregor was fighting Khabib. So I was like, sweet, I'm going to go watch this fight. Watched it in my friend's dorm room. And then we went to bed. We went and got pizza, watched that and went to sleep. And I was like, oh, what a life. <laughs> and um, it was just kind of crazy. Just, I mean, that moment when you kick it, all the like relief that comes over you and just like, wow, that really just happened. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, well, now it's ready. Time to get ready for next week. That kick doesn't matter anymore. And so it's that one kick mentality and just great. That doesn't affect how I do on the next one. So many people feel pressure because they have so much expectation of themselves and they also want things to happen and they don't want to fail and they have plans for their future. They have a plan for their life and they may want to make a lot of money in the sport and so forth. How do you uh, focus just on, on the moment while, these other people are actually just worried about so many different things that actually affect their performance. Whereas you're actually just able to focus on your performance. Um, I think that goes back to, I think my relationship with God, my relationship with my family and girlfriend and friends, um, knowing that even if this doesn't work out, I'm taken care of, there's a plan for me in life. And so having the understanding that all I need to do is go out there and try my best. And so doing everything for the Lord. And it's just, it's really opened up the ability to enjoy these stressful moments. Like it's a, it's a lot going on in my life. I don't know if I'm going to be playing this year. Don't know if you're cut, whatever. I played four teams last year, which was crazy. And so being at home, it was just kind of being ready for that moment. And yeah, just staying ready. If you're, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. You're a great example of, of staying ready because we met during the Rams training camp. I was speaking to the team. You were there and, and I had spoke to Texas the year before. I don't think you were there when I spoke though. No. Uh, right. And then I spoke again last year and just seeing you, we, we started up a conversation and I thought, okay, he's here at camp, but they have Matt Gay. They have one of the best kickers in the NFL. What was your mindset going into that camp? Knowing they have one of the best kickers in the NFL. He's not going anywhere. And yet you're in camp too. What was your mindset then? Yeah. So for me, it was, I was going in competing, punting and kicking. So it was an opportunity to kind of showcase everything that I can do. Um, they had a great special teams coach who helped me a lot punting wise and kicking wise, but just being around somebody like Matt 
Um, Riley Dixon was the punter and Matt Orschek was the snapper. And those dudes were just so phenomenal, so nice to me and just helped me in every way they could. And so being around guys like that was something I was interested in and just getting the help and I mean, kind of getting experiences from them so that when I have my chance, I can understand it. And then honestly, um, the goal, I think for me being there, I, it was pretty obvious Matt was going to be the guy that they were going to stay with. Um, it was a little bit competing for punting, but at the same time, punting was never my number one. It was something I did for fun. And I, I think I'm good enough to do it at a professional level, but it was going to be to stay throughout the season. Cause I knew this year that they didn't keep, they weren't going to keep any of those guys and they didn't, they cleaned house. And so it was one of those things where I was like, Oh, I'll stay around for the year. And next year I'm going to be the guy. And then woke up to a phone call that I was being cut. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> What was that like when you got cut? What did that feel like? Um, it was tough because my whole family was in California already because we had a week, we had a home game a week and then another home game that I was supposed to play in. And I got cut and I called my parents on my drive in. And I was like, hey, so I have some good news and bad news. So good news, I'm coming to hang out with you guys. Bad news is I'm cut, that's why. And so um, it was tough, but also a good moment to kind of sit back and enjoy where I've been and just kind of pray and hope for the next opportunity. Did you believe in that moment you would get another opportunity that season? Yeah, I, uh, I, I believed I would and talking to my agent and everything, he did a good job talking to me about it. And he's had a lot of guys that similar things have happened. And so it's just making and for specialists. I mean, there's 32 of you in the league and it's pretty hard to break in as a young guy and just being ready and knowing like, Hey, somebody's going to get hurt. I know I'm one of the top guys out there. I need to prove it when I show up to these workouts and let's go dominate every opportunity we get. Great mindset. What was the next opportunity you got after the Rams? Gosh. So I went to, I had seven, I, had, I think I had five or six workouts in seven days and then played in a game also. So it was, I had a week where I didn't have anything, flew back to Austin, was in Austin for like maybe 16 hours and was flying to Green Bay. And so I had a workout at Green Bay, then went to the Jets for a workout. I was on the way home, got a call at my um, layover that the Colts wanted to work me out because their punter got hurt. So then I flew straight from my layover to the Colts. And then I flew from there to Baltimore, I believe. And then signed with Baltimore that day, played in the game the next night, and then flew home the next morning. Unbelievable. Okay, how old are you at this time when this 20, happens? 22. 22. So much uncertainty. What's going through your mind during this time? What, what are you thinking and just how you dealing with it all? Be like, be honest. Like, what was your thoughts in those moments? Because we don't always have faith. We often at times yeah. have doubts. And then we come to faith after our doubts. What were you going through? I was having fun in those moments. It was cool to get the opportunities. I think that week before was really tough. Um, the first couple of days after, because I had done really well with the Rams, where it was kind of like a shock that they were releasing me. And um I, had, I knew I'd done well enough in the preseason game to get my next opportunity. And then doing all those workouts, I was pretty hopeful that one of them was going to sign me. And as I kept doing them and kept realizing they aren't really signing anybody, it's just little workouts. Then when I went to the Ravens, I had a feeling I was going to be signed. 
And when I got that chance, it was kind of like that relief moment of like, awesome. Like, thank you, God. I knew, I knew something was coming. So I appreciate it. And then went home for four weeks after that. So that was tough being at home. There's optimism. There's belief. There's faith that something's going to happen. You get in the workouts. There's, there's a confidence in knowing what you're doing and, and how you're doing it. You know, you're good. You know, you're kicking well. So you're feeling good about that. And basically you're just saying, okay, I'm waiting for my opportunity. Let's go. Like someone signed me because I'm going to deliver. And then you get the Ravens, but then you kick. Why did that not last with the Ravens? Well, they have Justin Tucker. So the greatest kicker of all time from the university of Texas as well. So that was like, uh, and they had just drafted a punter. So they were resting both guys going into the season. So they wanted somebody to come in and do both things. And I was like, sure, I'll come do that. And so I literally played the game. We ended at what I got back to my hotel room probably at midnight or 1am. And I was on a flight at 9am back to Austin. Did you know that was going to be the case? Like you weren't surprised with that. Oh, I, I, I called, I told my agent to call them and have them fly me home. Cause I was like, I don't want to stick around for three more days for them to cut me in three days. I'll just go home now. It didn't mean there was not much I needed there. <laughs> right. You, you did your thing. And then it was like, okay, now it's time to go. Did, exactly. did Justin encourage you at, at any time since he's a former Texas kicker as well? I had talked to him when I was coming out um, of college with the decision there because I had the opportunity to stay another year if I wanted to. And so talked with him about that stuff. But when I was there, it was more so just like, hey, go do your thing out there. Trust yourself and go ball out. So simple. We make it so complicated, but just go and mm -hmm. kick the ball. See the ball? <laughs> kick the ball. Okay. Exactly. You talked about your approach. So your approach when you're going to kick is just to go through your fundamentals and then just do what you do. So in those moments, you're really not thinking a lot at all. No, no. So like the only time I really think when I'm kicking is in practice, if I'm trying to change something other than that, once it gets into like a team period, it's a lot less thinking and a lot more like, okay, it's a little bit of like, all right, let's set myself up body wise and then roll. You're going make the kick. Do thoughts come in at all? Do negative thoughts ever come in? Every once in a while, yeah. You, you, as you're taking your steps, you're like, oh, okay, this wind's picking up a little. All right, I got to do this. I got to do that. And then it's kind of finding the way to get your body to say no and just be like, I'm, I'm doing this. I know what I need to do. And let's go hit a clean ball. So you actually talk back to when those negative thoughts come in, you actually talk back to it. Yeah, because I think if I don't say anything, if I leave it all and like, and not running through to my mind, then those things start to build up. And it's pretty easy to get in a spiral of like, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that, blah, blah, blah. Instead of just saying, no, this is how I'm doing it. We're rolling. We can fix stuff later. Like right now I need to go make a kick. I always tell people, athletes, that your negative thoughts are not coming from you. How would I know? Who would ever choose to have a negative thought? Exactly. Do you realize that as well? Yep. Yep. And so a lot of it is like you hear things as you're out there. So I typically, I, I honestly have no clue what's being said to me as I'm kicking. <clears throat> I'm like, I'm, I'm like blacked out most of the time. I don't really remember what's going on. And um, every once in a while you hear like a little thing before, and then that's like going through your head and you're like, why am I thinking about this? What's happening here? And it's like changing the way you, you, 
speaking to yourself to not let other things come in. Something has to be in your mind. And so having the positive things in your mind over negative things from outside is the way I have to look at it. Yeah, it's great. I always say, talk to yourself. Don't listen to yourself. So you're listening to this podcast because you want to learn from John Gordon, our amazing guest, and better yourself personally and professionally. But there's another great way to do that, too. It's books. Hey, friends, Daniel Decker here on the John Gordon team. Now, I don't know if you know this, but John has written 28 books, most of which have become top bestsellers. They're amazing. You can get them all at anywhere books are sold or jump over to johngordon.com. That's J-O-N Gordon.com and click on the books tabs and you can find them all there. From the Energy Bus, which has sold over 5 million copies worldwide, to The Power of Positive Leadership, The Power of a Positive Team, there's so many great books that are going to be an encouragement for you and for your team. Make sure you check them out and encourage others to do the same. So you're home right now with the Ravens now for, for after the Ravens for four weeks. Mm-hmm. What's going through your mind during that time? Are you practicing every day? Are you kicking each day? Are you doing your workouts? What's your routine look like during that time? How are you staying ready during that time? And what's your mindset like to stay ready? So I'm kicking two, three days a week. Um, It's one of those things you can't do every day or else you're going to hurt yourself. And so making sure that I'm kicking on like what would be if I got signed with a team. So making sure I'm kicking on Sundays, like a game day, making sure I'm kicking on a Wednesday, Thursday type schedule. And so making sure it's all ready so that if I get signed, it doesn't throw me off. Um, but I was going down to Texas, helping out the specialists there because beginning of the season, it was a little bit of a struggle. And so was there helping out, um, kicking down there, working out there. And then local kids here in Austin was kind of building up some kicking stuff with them and having the ability to share kind of the mindset that I think they should have going into things and how, how to learn and get yourself to the right headspace when kicking. Young athletes listening to this right now, what would you say to them that you said to those kids in Austin? You're loved regardless of what happens. Um, that's something that was shared with me through a player personnel, uh, player engagement, I think, player development, something. Yep. Forget his exact title. But Kevin Washington, he was our like pastor on the team, and he uh, he came up to me and he said – before every game, he's like, you know what I'm about to tell you, right? And I was, I was like, yep, you love me regardless what happens. And he's like, yes, I love you regardless what happens. And so I don't think he was just talking about himself. It was like, God loves me regardless what happens. I know he loves me regardless what happens. My family loves me regardless what happens. And so I always tell the guys kicking. I'm like, I love you guys regardless what happens. Even if you miss every kick, it doesn't change anything. You're going to get off the field. Your mom's still going to love you. Your dad's still going to love you. Like your life's perfect. Don't worry about it. And so taking that pressure off is such a big thing. That's huge. Love casts out fear. Mm-hmm. So the minute you focus on, on love, fear dissipates and fear goes away. So that when you're kicking with love, when you're playing with love, when you're showing up every day, just loving what you do, even loving the competition, loving the moment, loving the opportunity, fear has no power over you. It's only when you believe the lie of fear, and we often hear the words fear is a liar, that really it affects you. So you have such a great mindset. And I think kids hearing this, I know coaches are going to be sharing this with their players because this is something that these players need to actually think about and do because the world is always saying, focus on the world. And you're saying, no, I'm not going to focus on the world. I'm going to focus on me. I'm going to focus on God, right? Those two things. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's so good. That's so good. Okay. So you're now home. You're helping other people get better. You're working on your kicking, probably waiting for your next 
call? Are you waiting for the call pretty much each day, wondering when it's going to come? Yeah, waiting for the call and then finally got one. It was a workout with the Chiefs. And so went and worked out there. Um, super windy day. It was crazy. And they signed another guy, which was fine. And I was like, great. And then I had a workout with the Falcons a little bit later. That was just, I think they just wanted to see who was available, how people were doing in case something happens. Um, did well there. And then back home again and waiting again for the call. And so you just, you're sitting around waiting, just like, what am I going to do? Do I need to look for a job? <laughs> All this goes through your mind. What is your family saying to you during this time? Uh, they're just, I mean, they're very helpful. Just kind of like, Hey, enjoy, enjoy what's going on. Like my dad's all it's enjoy the process, enjoy kind of how all this rolls. And so having that with my girlfriend and some spiritual help of just like, Hey, trust God, like, let's pray about it. Let's believe in this. You have to believe in something for it to happen. Um, don't just throw up empty prayers. And so having her really helped me just kind of stabilize and then being around some of my friends here that have helped me a lot with my relationship with Christ is also a big thing getting together with them and doing Bible studies and all that was awesome. You keep talking about your relationship with Jesus, which, which is awesome. And I have a relationship with Jesus as well. It's changed my life, but at the same time, I'm still thinking you still were the younger kid that wasn't baptized and yet still had this feeling or knowing that God loved you and that you just showed up and just kicked. Was the baptism the, the culmination of that faith or was it just the, the solidification of like, okay, no, I, you know, I'm just finally declaring what I have known to be true all these years. I think it was the solidification of it just because I didn't come into knowing Christ until like my sophomore year of college. Mm. And so at first it was kind of like, I know that I'm loved, but why? And so not really understanding the reasoning behind it. I know my family loved me, but I was like, there's something more that's loving me. Um, and then my girlfriend kind of getting me to go to church, doing all that, then talking with buddies and getting to know people at church was kind of just like the thing that did it for me. And so getting, going into the off season, our worship leader texted me, he's like, hey, do you have any interest in being baptized? And I was like, yeah, I do. Let's do this. And so um, had my meetings with him, kind of set it all up and then got home like a day before I was baptized. It was awesome. Wow. Yeah, I was baptized at, at 36 years old and changed my life because before that, you know, I really did allow the world to get the most or the worst, I would should say the worst out of me, fearful, yeah. anxious, worried stressed all the time and my faith just changed me from the inside out and then I became a, a completely different person I started to write after that and wrote the energy bus while I was going through that process and everything like it totally transforms you but if you've never been through it you really can't understand it and some people even listening right now don't get it until I always say you've got to eat the chocolate cake to know how good it is yep. and if you if you've never had the chocolate cake you're like you know, well, I can't really experience a chocolate cake. I don't know about the chocolate cake. So when other people are talking about the chocolate cake, I don't quite get it. You and I know how good the chocolate cake is, but someone else who hasn't had it doesn't know how good it is. So it's hard to describe until you've had the chocolate cake. So is there a way that you could describe that chocolate cake when talking about Jesus, what that's like for you and the freedom it gives you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just the overwhelming peace. And so understanding that no matter what I do, um, Jesus has died for me and has 
like cleansed me of everything in my life. And so I know that I'm going to make mistakes. Like nobody's perfect out there. You try to live a perfect life, but you always make mistakes. You're always a sinner. And so understanding that and knowing that you're just striving to get better each and every day. And so whether that's the way you act at home towards others, the way you carry yourself or what you do in your workplace. And so forget where it says it, but it's like, do everything um, for Christ. And so everything that you do for him. And so going that about that in day-to-day jobs where you're in office place, it's like, okay, are you doing this with Christ in the center of your mind or are you not? It's like it's one or the other, there's no in between. And so for me, it's been changing my mindset of, Hey, and every interaction is Christ in the center of it. Am I trying to live like Christ throughout everything? And so that's something I challenged myself to last year was um, Uber rides to facility every day, everything that I'm doing. Am I talking to people? Am I being engaging? And am I treating people with the respect they deserve? And so it's, yeah, very fun to be able to see myself and see myself grow in that. Were teammates a part of your journey as well of faith? Because a lot of times guys will be impacted by their teammates. Mm -hmm. And so I have a teammate that came to Texas and was a kicker, um, Gabriel Zana, who was a big help in all of this. His family helped me a lot. And then this year was really, really cool. So my first game with the Chargers, very great guys. Um, God's at the center of all of their lives in the specialist room, which is awesome and what I needed. And so when I showed up, JK Scott, the punter came up to me and he, we had the chapel. I was only there for like three days. We had the chapel the day before. And he was like, Hey, I saw you're in chapel. I'm, I'm going to assume you're a follower of Christ. And I was like, yeah, he's like, you're right. If I share this with you. And he's like, I was reading through the Bible this morning and John 15, 16 was put on my heart. And I was like, oh, interesting. And so he read it to me and it went along the lines of like, believe what you ask for and you will receive. And so ask for what you want or else God can't really give it to you. And so um, he was talking to me about that. And then at the end of it, he was like, and you know, what's crazy is you're number 15 and I'm number 16. And so it was kind of one of those like, whoa, what's going on here moments. And so it was really cool. And then praying before it, before praying about it before the game. And he just reminded me like, Hey, make sure you're praying for what you want today. And in that game, I wouldn't hit a game winning field goal, um, had an amazing game. And it was just like the whole time I'm over there, just like, what in the world? Like, how, how do he know that? How do he have this in his mind? Blah, blah, blah. And it was such a cool moment. Does that make you look back and realize, okay, that's why it didn't work out with those other teams that didn't sign you while you were waiting those four weeks. And finally the chargers did because you were meant to go there, have that experience, talk to a, a punter like that who would speak life into you. Number 15, 16, God showing his hand on your life in that way saying, Hey, I had a plan by the way. Did you, did you recognize that at all? Yeah, I think it was, I recognized it more when I had the opportunity to go somewhere else while I was at the Chargers. I I had the opportunity to go to another team before I was officially signed with the Chargers. And I like was looking back at it and I was like, why would I leave? I think God's put me here for a reason. I've got three guys um, in my position room that are fully centered around Christ. And so uh, being able to learn from them, seeing how great of a father they are, seeing how great of a teammate they are and a friend, it was like, I want to be around this. I want to learn from them. I'm not leaving. Like I want to be here and have these guys teach me and have be able to make myself as close as I can to what they are trying to build their life like Jesus. Wow. So talk about, let's go backwards for a second. How did you get to the charges? So you were waiting those, all those weeks, 
did more and more tryouts. What finally happened with the Chargers? How did they bring you in? So then I went to the Eagles first. Okay. So signed with the Eagles <laughs> in week four. It's a lot. It's a lot okay. going on. So then went and worked out with the Eagles, sat in like an office for five hours after the workout before they signed me. I just sat there and sat there, learned some magic tricks. And then um, went, signed, played in a game three days later, kicked a game-winning field goal there, which was awesome. And then their kicker was healthy again the next week. And so I was on practice squad for two weeks. Then they cut me. I came home to Austin and uh, again, just was like, oh, what's going on? Then three days later was going to a concert and my agent calls me at like 8.30 at night. And I'm like, why is he calling me? Like, it's late. What are you calling me for? Missed like two calls from him. So I call him and he's like, hey, how fast can you be at the airport? It's like, I can be there in like an hour. What do we, where am I going? He's like, uh, the Chargers want to sign you. And I said, great, let's go. And so flew out there and was go time right away. Right away. Did their kicker get hurt? Yeah. So they had their original kicker got hurt. Then the guy who came in got hurt as well. And then they signed me. Okay. So now you're kicking, but you said you didn't stay there. What happened? Well, I did. So then I got to the Chargers and I was there for the last 11 weeks of the season. Oh, you were? Okay. But you had showed up to the Chargers before that as well. No, 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 no. That okay. one, the Eagles is where I showed up to before that one ended. And then the Chargers is where it was the last line. And that's where I've been since week seven of last year. Okay. So you said when you were there, okay, I'm staying here now. I'm not leaving after mm-hmm. you, you were staying there. Yeah. When did you realize it was going to be a longer term stay that you're going to be with the Chargers for the rest of the season? So originally I thought it was only going to be like four or five games because um, the guy was there was supposed to be getting healthy, but I think he had a little setback in one of his injuries. And then for me, it was, okay, let's continue doing well. I don't see why they'd get rid of me. If I'm doing well, you don't really want to change out somebody who's doing their thing pretty well right now. And so I just kind of kept myself in that mindset of, all right, let's keep working. I mean, every day is a tryout. And so making sure I'm ready to go and compete every single day, whether it's against myself or if he's healthy against him. When you went to Texas, you were the guy at Texas, you know, you're there for, you know, four years or however long you're going to be there and you're going to just kick there and you're their guy. Now you go from that to all this uncertainty going from place to place to place, having to prove yourself every single time. Do you believe that struggle made you stronger when you finally got to the Chargers and we're now kicking there full time? Yes. And then I also think like my freshman year, I came in, I was supposed to redshirt and I came in and just, I was like, I'm going to compete. I want to do this. And so I came in and beat the two older guys out that I think were going junior and senior year of college. And so I was like, let's do this. And uh, I think that helped me a lot because it wasn't really the best of scenarios for me going into. And I was just pumped uh, and excited to go and compete. And so carrying that same mentality over here, definitely made it so when I got to the Chargers it was like it's good it feels good to be that guy and let's prove them right on why why I am the guy for them right now yeah how'd that feel to finally get there to kick well after all this struggle after the journey all the tryouts now you are on this team the last 11 weeks of the season getting the kick in the NFL prove yourself right prove the Chargers right prove God right how'd that feel just knowing okay I finally made it in this moment It was awesome. I think it really hit me after the third week because for your first three weeks at a team, they can put you on practice squad before they sign you to 53 man roster. 
So you're kind of like brought up every week. So I was being brought up for my first three games. Then it's like, okay, well, we have to either sign him or we have to let him go or we have to keep him on practice squad and other teams can pick me up. And so when they signed me, it was one of those like, wow, this is really cool moments. Like you're guaranteed pay for three weeks if they cut you. I was like, this is awesome. Like what a, what a blessing it is to be in this spot. And then at the end of the season, uh, the other kicker, Dustin Hopkins on our plane ride home, he just, he told me, he was like, Hey, I don't know if you're already going to do this or not, but I feel like I need to share this, take a moment to reflect this off season on what this season was like for you and all the joy and all the heart heartaches and like all the tough times you had to go through before getting to where you ended up here and really look back and enjoy it and thank some people for that. And so, um, him saying that to me was really cool and just kind of allowed me to come home and think about stuff for a little bit and just enjoy, enjoy looking back at everything. Cause I don't do that too often. Yeah. That's really kind of him to say that to you. And it's kind of you to actually just think about, okay, now and good of you to reflect on what happened and then the success that you had, but what it's, what's it like? Okay. You're now about to start training camp. You're going into training camp for a new season you were the guy last year, and now you're going to have to compete for your job. And then you compete against a guy like Dustin Hopkins, who's a really nice guy and cares about you. I find it interesting in the NFL and all these professional sports, but especially in the NFL, quarterbacks will be competing against each other for the job, and yet they're friends, and yet they're competing. And getting the job could be worth millions of dollars, and yet while you're in the moment, it's about you just competing, but also maintaining friendships. Can you explain what that's like? Not even for just you, but what you see in professional sports and what you see in the NFL and how that dynamic is like that. It's pretty wild when you think about it. Yeah. So I think one thing I was told might've been with the Rams, um, could have been with the Eagles, not hundred percent sure, but it was, you aren't just competing against the guys in your position room. Now you're competing against the guys all over the league. So whatever you have, your coaches are going to talk to other guys. So let's say two quarterbacks are doing really well. One's barely better than the other, but the others, the other guy's still doing amazing. It's like, well, they're clearly going to sign the other guy. And that sucks for the other guy because he just, the guy who wasn't doing just as well was still doing great, but he just wasn't quite there. Another team might need that guy and how have him be pushed to kind of get to that next level. And so understanding that you're not just competing for the team you're at, um, and I don't know, just enjoying it. I think we're all there as professionals and you've all gotten to this point, knowing that you're kind of the top guy in whatever college you went to high school, all of that, you've been the number one player and getting to this level is pretty cool. Cause you're, you see some freak athletes that are like, Whoa, how's this guy so much better than this guy who's getting paid too. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. I think you're saying it right. You're, you're competing for each other, mm-hmm. not against each other. Because mm-hmm. you're making each other better as you're striving, competing, and one guy's going to get the job. But if you're competing for each other, you're both getting better, yeah. and you might get the job somewhere else. Like just like when you were at the Rams, like Matt Gay was encouraging you, supporting you. You didn't get the job there, but you were still showcasing what you could do, which eventually led to your job with all these other teams and then the Chargers. You know, so mm-hmm. it actually is competing for each other. One one final thing, Cameron. This has been amazing, and I just love learning from you and your mindset. One thing I've been thinking about lately, I've, I've noticed that that great competitors, like most the most successful people, there's a fierceness to them. There's a fierceness and there's a competitiveness. 
-hmm. you are a competitor. I could just tell, like you have joy. So there's this joy there, but there's this fierce competition that you do want to be great and you love competing. I was with Dabo Sweeney recently playing basketball with Dabo. And this guy was the most fiercest competitor I've ever seen actually. And it made so much sense to me. I'm like, oh, that's why Dabo is Dabo. He's not just an encouraging guy. He's not a guy who just loves his players, but he's a fierce competitor. Would you agree that there's a fierce competitiveness to you that makes you who you are? Yeah, that's actually one thing with my uh, Bible study group that I talk about is like, hey, I need to learn to turn this down at times because at times when it's like, I mean, at certain times you don't want it to be a competition. So like in relationships, for example, we'll be like cooking and I'll be like, yeah, I'm the best. I'm better than you at this. I'm going to prove it right here. And so I think it's something that's just like wired into me. Some people have it, some people don't. And so for me, it's, I, I love competing like board games, whatever it is. My goal is to beat you. I don't care who you are. I'm trying to win. And so it's fun to notice that about myself now. And then be able to see like, okay, like, do I need to take it a little easy if I'm playing against like a six-year-old? Um, what's kind of going on here? And it's just, it's a cool, cool thing. But yes, I agree that big time people are very competitive. Once you start getting to a certain area, you have to be competitive to survive. The great ones are all competitive. And I even noticed amongst pastors, a lot of pastors were former athletes who have a competitive spirit, but that competitive spirit is now being used by God to compete out in the world to go make a difference. Like they're turning that competition into, I want to go save souls. I want to go impact people. I'm going to go out there and and just drive. I'm not going to let this circumstance beat me. It's no longer people beating me, but I'm not going to allow this circumstance to beat me. I'm going to keep on going to do what God has called me to do. Yeah. Because I'm a, I'm a fiercely competitive person. I lost a pickleball yesterday and I woke up this morning pissed. Like I can't, but like, how did I lose? But like, I woke up and I'm still mad, but you're right. You don't want to compete. My wife will say, you know, we wrote relationship grit in relationships. You don't want to compete. You want to remember your one team. Yeah. So relationship, you support, but in, in sports, we compete and we want to oh, win. Oh and yeah. Then, pickleball is one of those things you got to compete at. That's, that's oh, yeah. the fun one. I'm big into that right now. All right. Well, we're going to play sometime. We're going to play. I lost to David Pollock the other day from ESPN game day. And he's the only reason why I lost. I'm, I'm convinced he's ambidextrous. He's an amazing uh, athlete. So anytime I would go to his backhand, he would just switch to his left hand and hit a forehand. So I was playing against two guys plus a six, four guy with, with, with amazing athletic ability and two hands, literally with two, two forehands. It was, it was, unbelievable never never put anyone like that before that's that's tough <laughs> yeah yeah but it, but it was fun but it was fun all right we're playing we're playing sometime in the off season all right so as we finish up cameron what do you want people to know what do you want them to think what do you want i mean you said so many great things about younger people and the, and the right mindset but you're about to leave for camp right you're going into it just tell us what your final mindset is as you're going in yeah, I think I've hammered it before, but I'll say it again. It's just love, like love's most powerful thing. I think it's God's most powerful thing as well. He talks about it a lot. And so um, making sure that you're surrounding yourself with people who love you for truly you, not for what you do. <clears throat> and um, understanding the fact that God loves you and your parents. I mean, everybody in your life who actually loves you should be the ones around you every day and that you should be talking to. And so surrounding yourself with the right people is gonna make or break you what's your um hat say never fail and so oh. that's a uh friends brand and uh they have i think it's a dad her my 
girlfriend's friend's father's company. And it's a software, some software company. And I was like, oh, they're sweet hats. For me, I look at it and I'm like, ah, you're never failing in life. I always joke around. I'm like, it's like a sports ambassador hat thing. It's like, you're never failing in life. It's always just something else. Um, your next step to success. And so looking at it that way of like, yeah, I mean, you're going to mess up, but it's never look at it a failure. Cause that's, if you fail, you're a loser. And if you let yourself be a loser, that sucks. You just look at it as your stepping stone to becoming a winner. Yeah. You're not failing. You're becoming, you're not failing. You're growing. And isn't there a quote that says love never fails. Yes, there is. Yeah. So, so that wraps up exactly what we talked about. Love never fails. You're never failing. You're growing. You're becoming Cameron Dicker, the kicker, as they would say on TV. Hey, it was great talking to you. This is awesome. Thanks so much, Cameron. Thank you. Great talking to you, too. Coaches, that was good. I hope you found it beneficial to you. So let me share with you three takeaways to think about. So here's the first one. Cameron's strength is his mindset. Cameron started kicking when he was in the seventh grade, and he saw that his mindset was his strength, more so than his athletic talent. So he played into that and continually evolved his mindset. Where other kickers would get frustrated, he wouldn't let misses get to him. And here's the second takeaway. Here's what he thinks about when he's kicking. When he's kicking in a game, he makes it a point to not think about anything. He just trusts the process that he's gone through like 10,000 times before. Thinking actually inhibits the natural process of making the kick. And his attitude is the ball either goes through the goalposts or it doesn't. It's not life or death. He feels loved by the people closest to him and knows that their love is not dependent on him making kicks. Now, when he's practicing, he does think while he's kicking. That's how he makes improvements. And he knows that he practices for those moments that he has to make the kick. His focus is on doing his very best and dominating each practice. Boy, he's a fierce competitor. And here's the third takeaway. Discovering God his sophomore year at the University of Texas. When he was a sophomore, he knew he was loved, but he just didn't know why. He knew there was something more that was loving him beyond his family. And this was inspired by his girlfriend here at the University of Texas, who got him to go to church. Then in his junior year of college, with the help of football assistant coach Kevin Washington, who is the pastor for the team, he took it to the next level and got baptized. And the key thing that Kevin Washington always was saying to Cameron is, you are loved no matter what. That had a tremendous impact on Cameron and improved his mindset. And here's the action step for this week. Let me share a thought with you. Your success in life, as well as your enjoyment of life, comes down to the thoughts that are going on in your head on an ongoing basis. Would you agree with that? Cameron Dicker is a shining example of that. He's controlling his thoughts. And given what he does for a living, making kicks in the NFL, his career is dependent on his mindset. So how does this apply to you? Your mindset is determined by your morning routine. So just take a look at your morning routine. Are you impacting your mindset 
so that you're positive and confident. And so you live life with the attitude that you can accomplish anything you set your mind to. Again, your morning routine is the opportunity to create the mindset you desire. If this interests you, let me know. I developed a 12-minute-a-day morning routine that is life-changing that I teach here at the University of Texas. Coaches, now let's listen to something that you and your athletes might find really valuable. Have you heard about atomic habits? James Clear is famous for this, and he did an eight-minute video that discusses habits. I found it fascinating, and I think you will too. Listen for how he talks about outcomes being a combination of luck and habits and how you can control your habits, not your luck. So that's what you should focus on. Also listen for an absolutely great line he has. Your outcomes in life are the lagging measure of your habits. Let me say that again. Your outcomes in life are the lagging measure of your habits. Boy, that is so true. You may want to implant this in your athletes' brains. Then the final thing to listen to, the value of identity change, where you're not trying to change your behaviors. Rather, by changing your identity, the behaviors just follow. Boy, this is good stuff. So enjoy Atomic Habits for the next eight minutes. It's not that luck and randomness and uncertainty don't play a role in life. They do. You know, luck, luck is a part of all of our lives to a certain degree, both good fortune and bad. But by definition, you don't have control over luck. And your habits also matter. And I think that the reason they're so worthwhile uh, to focus on and understand is that they are the portion of your life that you can influence that also determines your outcomes. It's not just luck. It's not just habits. But one of those you have control over. And so it makes sense the only reasonable strategy is to focus on what you can control. If you spend all of your time focusing on things you can't control, then you're just going to end up frustrated. And so I think habits are maybe the best lever for that. Talent and genes, uh, they play a role. And it's important. You know, People have natural uh, predispositions to things that make them better. But what you find is that nearly always when someone is a great performer in a particular domain, they are both well-suited, so naturally talented or have some kind of predisposition to that area, and well-trained. And so even if you are talented, you can't succeed without having great habits to, to execute and to fully realize the potential that you have. Your outcomes in life are often a lagging measure of your habits. You know, like a lot of the time people talk about, you know, I want to have more money or I want to lose weight or I want some kind of result. But the truth is, your bank account is a lagging measure of your financial habits. Your weight is a lagging measure of your eating habits. Your knowledge is a lagging measure of your learning and reading habits. And so it's actually, we think the thing that needs to change is the bank account or the test score or the number on the scale, but actually the thing that needs to change are the habits that precede those outcomes. Every action you take is kind of like a vote for the type of person you want to become. And if you can master the right actions, if you can master the right habits, then you can start to cast votes for this new identity, this desired person that you want to be. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why small habits matter so much. They don't necessarily transform your life overnight, right, right away. Like doing one push-up does not transform your body. But it does cast a vote for being the type of person who doesn't miss workouts 
or meditating for one minute might not give you an immediate sense of calm in your life. But it does cast a vote for being a meditator. The real goal is not to run a marathon. The goal is to become a runner. The goal is not to write a book. The goal is to become a writer. Because once you've adopted that identity, you're really not even pursuing behavior change anymore. You're just kind of acting in alignment with the type of person you already see yourself to be. It's kind of like true behavior change is really identity change. Because once you've changed that internal story, it's way easier to show up each day. You're not even really motivating yourself that much to do it. You're just like, this is who I am now. There's a sort of an, uh, a misalignment of rewards that often happens with habits. So there's an immediate outcome, an immediate reward, and then an ultimate reward. And for your bad habits, one reason bad habits stick so readily that they, they form so easily is because bad habits, often the immediate reward is favorable, right? Like what's the immediate reward of eating a donut? It's kind of great. It's sweet. It's sugary. It tastes good. It's only the ultimate reward if you repeat that habit for six months or a year or two years that is unfavorable. Meanwhile, good habits are often the exact opposite. The immediate reward of going to the gym or going to the gym for like a week isn't really that great. Your body's probably sore. Uh, you don't have much to show for it. Your body looks the same. Your weight hasn't really changed. But it's, if you stick to that for six months or a year or two years, then the ultimate reward is favorable. And so a lot of the balance uh, or a lot of the challenge of building good habits and breaking bad ones is figuring out how to pull the long-term costs of your bad habits into the present moment so you feel a little bit of that pain right now and have a reason to avoid it and pull the long-term rewards of your good habits into the present moment so it feels good and you have a reason to kind of make it through that like valley of death in the beginning and stick with it while you're waiting for those delayed rewards to accumulate. I think we could just summarize that whole uh, cognitive bias or mismatch, uh, misalignment of rewards by saying the cost of your good habits is in the present and the cost of your bad habits is in the future. And the fact that we prioritize the present over the future ends up making a lot of habit change difficult for that reason. If I was going to give some practical takeaways, uh, I would say first thing that you can do is probably optimize your environment because sometimes that's all you need to do. So might as well start there and then maybe it'll take care of itself. You know, like I mentioned, putting the apples in a bowl on the counter, that was all I needed to do. And then the habit of eating apples every day was done. Uh, or maybe, uh, you know, putting your TV inside a wall unit or something, maybe that'll be enough to, to reduce it or curb the, the habit. Unsubscribe from the food blogs and now you're not tempted to eat as many cookies or something like that. Um, mobile phone, super important. Yes, right, things like that. Mo removing the, the applications or like you deleting Instagram off your phone, well, that was enough. Now your Instagram habit is roughly where you want it to be uh, and you just look on the desktop instead of on your phone and that, that was enough and now you're, you're fixed. So environment design, good place to start. Next thing that I would recommend is the two-minute rule and scaling your habits down, making them as easy as possible. Basically, just downscale it to a point where you can answer the question, can I stick to this habit 98% of the time without fail, no matter what the conditions? And if you have to say no to that, then it's probably too big to start. So, you know, pretty much every habit has an entry point uh, or the first thing that you try to do. Just focus on mastering that. And uh, I think that's a good place to focus. And then building off of that, the, the last one that I'll recommend is... Um, there's this great story that I mentioned in the book about Twyla Tharp, the famous dance choreographer and instructor. Yeah, yeah. And she trains for, still even now, she trains for two hours a day. She's, you know, 50s, 60s. She's been training for a long time, uh, dancing her whole career. But she doesn't actually focus on the exercise habit. The habit that she focuses on building is 
I put on my workout clothes and my sweatshirt and I hail the cab on the side of the street. And if I've done that, then I've completed the habit. And I think the, the insight that she realized is that habits are often the entry point, not the end point. They're the cab, not the gym. They're like an entrance ramp to the bigger routines in your life. And if you can master that habit, that like little decisive moment that determines what happens in the next chunk of time, then the rest of it kind of falls in line. Like I have this moment each morning where either I open up Evernote and I start writing the next article I'm going to work on, or I go to ESPN and I check the latest sports news. And what happens in the next hour is really determined by what happens in the first like 30 seconds. Because if I go to ESPN, then the next hour is kind of shot. But if I start writing the article, if I master that entry point, then I'm kind of speeding in the right direction and the momentum carries me into the rest of the task. And I think that for me, that's a little bit inspiring when it comes to building habits because what you realize is that there's actually not that much to change. There may be five or 10 of those little decisive moments, those little entry points throughout your day that determine whether the next chunk of time is productive or not. And if you can organize your environment or join a community or restructure your habits so that those entry points are mastered, then you're much more likely to live a good productive day. And so I think that those three things, environment design, scale your habits down, and master the entry points, those are some really good places to start. Coaches, I hope you found that beneficial to you. So let me share with you three takeaways to think about. So here's the first one. Outcomes are a result of habits, luck, and natural ability. But of the three, you only control your habits. So that's what you should focus on. Then the second takeaway. Your outcomes in life are a lagging measure of your habits. This is a powerful concept because it's so profoundly simple. So let me say it again. Your outcomes in life are the lagging measure of your habits. You may want to say this over and over to your athletes so it gets drilled into their psyche. And James Clear gives us a great example with regards to your eating habits. Your waistline is the lagging measure of your eating habits. That makes so much sense. And then the third takeaway, identity change is the key. Rather than trying to change behaviors, it makes more sense to create an identity change in yourself in order to modify your behaviors. If you see yourself being a certain type of person, the desired habits just happen. This is a powerful concept. And here's the action step. James Clear talks about all habits, both good and bad. He discovers something interesting. With all habits, there is an immediate outcome and there's a long-term outcome. With bad habits, the immediate outcome is good and the long-term is bad. Think of the idea of eating a delicious chocolate cake, to borrow from Cameron Dicker. Immediately, the outcome feels good. Long-term, if you do it too often, you get diabetes. And then look at the effect of good habits, like running five days a week. The immediate outcome is painful, but the long-term benefit is great. So here's the action step. As you influence your athletes, teach them the power of habits, which I know you already do. But point out the concept of identity change, as well as the short-term and long-term effect of habits. Understanding all this could be a game-changer 
for your athletes. Until next time, hook them.